Revelation chapters 6, 7, and up to chapter 8, verse 5. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures saying a voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice coming from the four living creatures saying, A kilogram of wheat for a day's wages. And three kilograms of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the forward seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a quarter of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat's hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from a fig tree. When there's a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who can withstand it? 
After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming out from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? And where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not be down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer. 
filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Thank you, uh, Gabriel, for reading that so well. What a gift. Um, Well, I'd like to welcome you to uh, Kings on Diversity Sunday. Thank you for everyone here that has made an effort to dress up. I hope you're impressed with my suit and uh, my culture. If we're celebrating something, a wedding, big event, we put a suit and tie on, uh, hoping it's going to be a cold day. Uh, And I wish I had something a bit more loose-fitting, but there you go. That's my culture. So thank you for... uh, sort of joining and celebrating what is Diversity Sunday. We do this once a year. We've institutionalized it. It's it's such an important value to us to celebrate what God has done in reconciling us to God and to one another. And we're continuing in our series uh, in Revelation. Are you enjoying the series? Yeah? It's great, isn't it? eh? It's great to preach it. It stretches you, but it's, uh, it's good, and I'm glad you're enjoying it. We are. I am. And um, I've called this message, Who Can Stand? Who Can Stand? Uh, before I get into it, I just want to make you aware that Phil Varley, who's our associate pastor, uh, starts a sabbatical in about uh, eight days' time. In fact, his last Sunday is the 9th of June. That's Phil and Sarah there. Phil's the second longest serving staff member on our team now. I think um, I'm first now. I've outlasted everyone. And uh, Simon here, Simon Allen's third. Not that we make a too big deal of this, but Phil, what I'm trying to say, is a really senior leader at King's. He oversees all the sites. He's one on our preaching team. Uh, really, when it comes to the day-to-day running and, and very often the shaping of King's and who we are, Phil's got a big part to play. And we're very appreciative as pastors that the elders and trustees and the church want to invest in us and our families to look after us, knowing that if you look after us, there's a better chance we'll look after you. And so I'm still living in the good. Deb and I had a break last summer. You're allowed a sabbatical every seven years, and it's come round for Phil's turn again. I think this is the third, because he's been on staff for over 20 years. So uh, he's away. So if you see him before the 9th of June, please pour your heart out to him. Any issue you've got, anything you're unhappy about the church, just tell him. On Monday the 10th, just give him a high five. <laughs> Smile, but find another pastor other than me to share those issues with. Okay, all right? So that, that's how we do it around here. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, Phil, great, great leader. And we trust that they get a good break and come back fresh in uh, September. Uh, Deb and I, as you know, uh, have the privilege of traveling a little within our wider New Frontiers family. Our latest trip has been to the Ukraine. We flew in on the Friday. We were met at the airport airport by Andrei Bondarenko, who then immediately took us into the city centre of Kiev. And if you haven't been to Kiev, it's a beautiful city. It was a sunny, kind of warm evening, very vibrant, very young. It reminded me very much of London. It's a capital city. Uh, But then he immediately took us to the central square where the revolution happened in 2014. And the first thing we saw was a picture of 100 men. They were the first 100 men that were killed uh, in 2014, shot by snipers from a hotel 
so uh, a government turning guns on their own people. And uh, that didn't stop the revolution, but post-revolution there were consequences which included the separatists backed by the Russians coming in and annexing Crimea, you know about that, and then there being a war, which is ongoing, it's not in our media anymore, but there's ongoing uh, conflict in East Ukraine, and Andre and Natasha, you heard me say before, when the war broke out some five years ago, jumped in their car, anything else they could get in, and with their 10-day-old third uh, child, and, and drove to Kiev. And these are the people are hosting us. And they have literally started again. I mean, it's like a war breaking out in, in uh, London and us all having to move to Birmingham. Just think about that. I mean, or, you know, maybe North London, it gets worse. You know, uh, I mean, it's just... Uh, but I, I said, do you, when we met people who used to live in the East, I said, do you have, oh, yeah, we have a lovely house. Lovely house there, but it's not worth anything now. And they're kind of renting and literally starting again. And they're starting businesses and schools. I mean, it's remarkable. I was amazed by the people I met there. The worship was vibrant. And if you ever doubt it, and sometimes I do, you know, the challenge of where do you put your hope, there was no doubt that these people put their hope in Jesus. Because life had been such that it was the only... The only secure thing. Jesus was the only their, their worship was vibrant where you would think their circumstances. Whew. We then, I preached in a church on the Sunday. I uh, hadn't realised until I got there that it was the Orthodox calendar, so it was Easter Sunday. So I preached out of John's Gospel here, uh, and then I got there and I thought, oh, this works well. I'll preach what I preached at King's. So I, I had two Easter Sundays, which was great. And then uh, Deb and I, there was about 10 people lined up for us to pray with at the end of the meeting. Half of them were families that had fled the war, had relocated in Kiev and were seeking God on their future. And many of them had teenage children. Do we stay here? Do we go back to the east? Do we um, go to another part of Europe? It was all through, everything's Russian speaking, so everything's through translation. So it was pretty intense. And you pray your best prayer. And by the end of it, you're pretty sober. And your challenges, though are real, I know your challenges, I've got them, trust me, kind of just for a moment had a perspective check. Then we went to a leaders, pastors and wives kind of event, which had about 180 leaders that I spoke on a main session. Every breakfast, lunchtime and evening, we would have a meal with someone that was organised with translation. And we'd either hear of pastors that were leading churches in the occupied territory, and the huge demands there, or we met people that had fled and started again. So we were there for seven, eight days. It was, it was a, you know, uh, it was challenging. It was demanding at times. It was a, also um, a joy. And it left me thinking, where do we put our hope? There's no doubt these people didn't put their hope in their circumstances or, or, or their hope was in Jesus. And they were robust. They were robust believers. I think if you grew up under communist rule, under the Soviet Union, you've gone into freedom and then... the the separatists have come in again, then there's a robustness which I found provoking. Um, a quick recap. I don't know if you have a favourite series at the beginning of the series, uh, like the next episode, if you're watching a TV series, they have a quick recap. Well, here it is. John's intro, the presented of the exalted Christ, 
the letter to the seven churches, and then another reality, which is where we've been for the last couple of weeks, the throne room of God. And now chapter 6 is another transition point. Starts to describe judgment is on the earth. I find it helpful when thinking about the judgment of God to think the motive is not revenge, it's justice. Is a God of grace and truth. He's a holy God. It's love that is holy as well, and it brings justice on the earth. And we're going to see that in the coming weeks. And I start with the seals, but we've got the trumpets and bowls to come. Judgment is on the earth. And um, when you read Revelation, I read it first through the lens of those that received the letter. So it was written to a people and a context and a moment in time. And what John's doing here is he's wanting to bring out into the open the myth that the Roman Empire brings peace and prosperity. They kind of did at one level. They came in with military force and occupied with the power of the sword. They kind of provided some sort of order, but behind the scenes, some of the challenges of life were still there. And so they promised peace and prosperity, but it never really fulfilled. It's a bit like the culture we live in. And the God of our nation is materialism. And look, I'm very grateful to live in this nation, I hope you are, because compared to many nations of the world, and this is what Revelation will do, it will lift our eyes to have a biblical view of what's going on in the world, and also more of a global view, so we might be very grateful for living in actually a place of some peace and prosperity, but that's not the case around the whole world. The danger is it becomes our God. And our God becomes democracy or materialism or or our pension fund. And our trust and hope is in in that rather than ultimately in Jesus. And so we have to be careful. We have to be careful because if we put our trust in these things, then things in our life will come which, uh, which will be difficult. And if we're not prepared for it, then sometimes we're not as robust as sometimes the believers I see in other parts of the world, like Ukraine. And therefore we could have a false hope in our politicians or a false hope in our investments. If you mix this with a kind of dose of prosperity theology, which is too common, sadly, in London churches, you really are setting yourself up for disappointment. The kind of health and wealth gospel. Yeah, if you kind of mix that in, which is really just an interpretation of scripture through a kind of materialistic worldview then I'm afraid you could end up very disappointed. But mainly it doesn't give you, our context, a real view of what's going on across the earth. Just in the last two weeks, as a part of my uh, leadership role within New Frontiers, I've heard this news. I heard of the news of a pastor travelling into another nation. He had led a church there for 20 years, got turned around at immigration, put in a room and flown out, just not allowed in. I know that the Indian believers are concerned because of the Modi uh, fundamentalists. That's right, is that right? No, that's not right, is it? That's not right. Say that again. Hindu fundamentalists, thank you. It's, it's a joy being a dyslexic, I tell you. I create a whole new phrases and words. It's just the creative edge of a dyslexic. Um, but they're worried. Because he has put pressure on religious minorities, both Muslim and Christian. They're really worried. I was with dear friends and they were praying through whether they would have to give their life to follow Christ. 
I received an email this week telling me that the Chinese church is under persecution again, the hardest persecution in 40 years. Um, or just our friends in Zimbabwe with the daily challenges of hyperinflation or economic meltdown and political dictatorship. Many believers around the world face the challenges that Revelation brings to light. Um, one other comment of introduction. There's a question I had when I was looking at this passage. I mean, what period of salvation is John really talking about here? Where are we in salvation history? I want to suggest to you that we are in the period between Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and Jesus coming again. The Bible uses phrases like end times or tribulation. It is the period between the ascension and the coming of Christ. That's what I believe we're in. It helps us understand things like tribulation. Um, Ian Paul, who is an Anglican, a brilliant uh, writer, uh, is on the synod of uh, Justin Welbert's synod, but he, um, he wrote a commentary on Revelation, which I found really helpful. Andrew gave it to me, thanks. And uh, he summarises it so much better than I can. So let's just go there with this quote. For John's first readers... These verses describe a world that they know and live in. A world marked by periodic famine and shortage, one of chronic disease and early death, especially in the often overcrowded cities of the empire. A world in which earthquakes bring sudden destruction and devastation. John is not yet disclosing to them an unknown future, but revealing the reality about the present. The imperial myth of peace and prosperity is exposed just as that. A myth. There is only one who is sovereign, the one by whose permission the horsemen are released to allow humanity to reap what it has sown. And this one is not the emperor. And it is he alone, not the emperor, who can offer answers to the crises that face humanity. He alone can usher in the true age of peace and prosperity. Who can stand? Chapter 6 begins with uh, the kind of famous, picked up in our culture and writings and books and movies of the four pictures of the, the four horses of the apocalypse. The first of the four seals, the white horse that represents conquest and war, the red horse which is bloodshed and war and particularly like civil war where people of the same nation or race kill each other. The black horse, which represents famine or inequality between rich and poor. And we see that, don't we? People getting richer and people getting poorer. And the pale horse, ultimately uh, death, famine and plague. And uh, these verses shouldn't surprise us. They probably, when you read them first, a bit of a shock. That's okay. But these words are very similar to the words that Jesus says in Matthew 24. So they're not like new to us if you read the New Testament. So you have the first four seals. The next two are the first two responses. The fifth seal is a cry from the martyrs. How much longer do we have to wait until justice comes on the earth? Because we were killed unjustly for our faith. And the cry from heaven is wait a little longer. There are still others that will die for their faith. Be patient. Judgment will come, judgment has come, but wait 
Wait, pause. And uh, we don't have to read far, even in our secular press now, that the persecution on those that are Christians in parts of the world like Syria or in the Middle East especially, it's just, we, I've mentioned China already, is just huge. Uh, and many die for their faith. The sixth seal kind of summarises the response of the world and talks about generals and dictators and kings and princes and rich people. That when judgment actually catches up with a dictator or someone that's just put their hope in the riches of life and then death approaches, suddenly they run for cover. As There's a kind of picture of running to the mountains or the caves which is kind of biblical imagery to, to run for safety because life's caught up with them. If chapter 6 is about judgment, chapter 7 is about protection and answers the question, who can stand? In fact, chapter 6 ends with this phrase, who can withstand this? Well, who can stand? Who can stand? Well, I'm going to give you three. Those that, who are sealed, those that, who are saved, and those that have a shepherd. Who can stand? Those that are sealed, those who are saved, and those that have a shepherd. Chapter 7 begins with uh, uh, talking about the four winds, which really is just another way of expressing the four horses. And then another angel appears and comes from the east. And in the Bible, when something comes from the east, it's normally coming with blessing. So there's blessing coming, and... Uh, John says, those that can stand are those that are sealed. The 144,000 that are sealed. Now, we'll come back to the 144,000 in a moment. So the JWs have mixed us up on that. But just hang with me for a moment with the phrase sealed. And um, think of some period drama or some kind of uh, occasion where you see someone noble writing a letter. You've heard this illustration before. And they take their signet ring and they... Uh, authenticate the letter and they seal the letter and if it had private information in this letter what they want to do part of the seal is that when it gets to the person they've sent it to is that they can see that the seal isn't broken and therefore the contents within the letter are secure and so a part of sealing protects or if you're married here and you suddenly you understand this and your wife comes to you and says can you open this jar yeah, could you open this jar? And when I was young, I was kind of like, yeah, come on. And as I get older, it gets harder. And so therefore it's like, and you're trying, if you're a guy here, you're just trying to prove your manhood by opening the jar. And um, you give it to your wife and she does it and you think, wow, wow, the power of Pilates. That's what you think. But, then, uh, but seriously, no, you don't. Or now I have three sons, so I just give it to them. Or if that doesn't work, I run it under hot water. If that doesn't work, I get one of these huge things out and wrap it around and try it out. So it's sealed. Why is it sealed? Well, it's to protect what's inside so that the air doesn't get in and, and take your, your jam and or whatever it is and it go off and it gets all that sort of furry stuff on. Yeah? Have you ever had that in you? If you're a student, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, okay. Right. So... The 144,000 that can stand are those that are sealed. Now, what does the 144,000 stand for? Well, this is where you need to read the passage in its context. Always a good good idea. Um, And you need to read verse 4 in parallel with verse 9. So it says, 
in verse 4, there's 144,000 sealed. But then verse 9, it says there's a great multitude that no one can count. So you go from one moment you're counting to the next moment, there's such a large people, group of people that you cannot count it. If you look at the list of the 12 tribes, there's 12,000 in each. Also you have that John describes Jews... And then in verse 9, it's describing all languages and tribes and nations, not just one. So how do you interpret this? It's important you know by now, I hope, that you can't read the numbers in Revelation just literally. In fact, you have to interpret the numbers uh, throughout Scripture at times, but particularly through Revelation. And behind the 12 times 12,000 is this picture of completeness or perfection or the whole people of God. So who can stand? The whole people of God who are sealed. Now when I first read this, I immediately in my head jumped to Ephesians 1. Paul's writing. I'm sure, I'm sure Paul wrote about being sealed somewhere. It says, and you, were also, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed... You were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So who's sealed? Those included in Christ. Those that have heard the message of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that have believed it, and therefore they are marked with him with a seal, the seal of the Holy Spirit, which is like a deposit, a down payment, guaranteeing your future. Hallelujah. So when you wake up in the morning, and as I do, I, 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 I sense God with me. It's internal. So you're thinking, well, I, I, I don't know if I'm sealed because I haven't got a mark on my head. Well, once again, just get beyond the imagery for a moment. So let's go to the Apostle Paul again. So in Ephesians 6, he's describing a picture of a Roman soldier. And so he presents an external, but what really he's doing is declaring a truth that's really internal inside you. Yeah. So he says, look, here you need the shield, external shield, shield of faith. But faith is an internal thing. It's the same with the seal. Actually, the, the seal is internal. It's, it's the person of the Holy Spirit. That's how you can stand when pressure comes. You've got God within you. Who can stand? Those who are saved. Revelation 7 says, And after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to a God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Firstly, salvation is a gift from God. It comes from God. You can't earn it. It's given in Jesus if you respond in faith to him. But also, heaven is going to be very diverse. My own view of heaven is it's going to, the music's going to be loud. I just want you to know that. Okay, I think it's going to be loud. It's going to be diverse music. There's going to be people from all different languages. I, I, I visualize flashing lights. I mean, it's going to be, yeah? And there's going to be worship and, yeah, and people bowing down. And there's going to be people from all over the world and throughout all generations. Yeah? And we have an opportunity on our Diversity Sundays to kind of get a picture of it, which is what I love about, or one of the many things I love about this church. 
that we are very different. In class, in culture, in age, it's a picture of heaven on earth. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, Simon and I met the new bear of Lewisham. He's a young guy. He's got a big job, austerity kicking in. He's got a vision, but he's got no money. And uh, I just said, look, we're with you as a community. We'll pray for you. Uh, we want to support you, play our part. I want you to see us as a friend, not a critic. Uh, but I also took the opportunity to say, oh, I tell you what, I bet there's nowhere else in Lewisham where people choose to come together a different age, class, and culture. I said, but I bet there's no, no, nowhere else. Because actually, this is a huge testimony. It's a testimony that Jesus' uh, grace is sufficient and can take people that have been reconciled to him and reconcile them to one another. So we should celebrate. It's a testimony. But also, we also need to be aware that race is a massive issue and continues to be a massive issue in our country and culture and community. So my own view, whatever your view on Brexit is, is that that's driven partly by immigration. That's a big part of it, controlling borders and things like that. Um, race is a massive issue. Uh, Rahim Sterling, who's a brilliant footballer, plays for England, hope he plays well this week, has had huge racial abuse. It's just out there. Uh, I'm going on holiday soon, and I'm going to read a book called White Fragility, and a light read for holiday. It's a secular writer writing about how the white community doesn't have emotional resilience when it comes to discussing issues of race. I thought, oh, okay, that would be an interesting read for me. Just this other week, I was in our office, and Faria, who was leading worship earlier, and uh, Moses praying here, and Jason, they were in the room. I'm a bit nosy, and if you work on my team, you'll know I will walk into any meeting. So I'm just friendly, just happy pastor coming through. And oh, here he comes. And I, come, and I saw him. I knocked on the door and I went in. I said, how are you doing, guys? Oh, yeah. I said, what, what are you saying? Oh, we're talking about issues of race. I said, really? Can I join you? And we had 20 minutes, didn't we? Because so I want to be a learner. Yeah? And um, we're celebrating today, but let's, let's keep our eyes open to the issues in our community. And therefore, it's very important for all of us to, to learn. Which is why I want to encourage you. If you're new to King's, And you haven't looked at the material in our Invited series that we did two years ago, spring 2019. It's a whole pool of resource on our website with interviews and testimonies and messages out of the book of Acts. Um, I want to encourage you to read it and look at it, please. Who can stand lastly? I love this. I got quite excited when I wrote this down in my notes. It said, those who have a shepherd, Revelation 7, 17, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. I wrote in my notes, wow. A lamb who was slain, a lamb who opens the seals, he is the lamb, but also he's their shepherd. So who can stand? Those that have a lamb in heaven, but also have a shepherd in heaven. And shepherds, their primary responsibility is safety and protection of the flock, to protect them from predators. And maybe we don't face the challenges that our friends in Ukraine or Zimbabwe face. But life throws up challenges here as well. However much we have this kind of sense of peace and prosperity in the kind of background, I know a number of you here facing real challenges, health challenges, financial challenges, relational challenges. Well, there's a shepherd. There's a lamb slain, and there is a shepherd. And in a moment, we're going to break bread. And as we do, 
we're going to reflect on the lamb that's slain and the shepherd that protects. And then the seventh seal comes and there's a pause. There's like silence as people kind of just reflect on what God is doing across the earth.